and welcome to The Dish, a Connectivity Business News Podcast. My name is Madeline Durrett, Associate Editor at Connectivity Business News, and today we're speaking with John Rood, Chief Executive Officer at Momentus, to discuss Momentus's recent collaborations and technological achievements, growing market trends, and the importance of in-space infrastructure and the company's growing defense business. John, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me on. So I just want to get started. Um, congratulations on some recent agreements you've signed, one with Apogeo Space to provide orbital transportation services for nine of its PICO satellites. Uh, I have to be honest, before um, covering that story, I had not heard of a lot of companies using PICO satellites what are the benefits of extremely small satellites, and do you see this being a growing trend? I do. Uh, one of the things that, that's been remarkable to watch is this, this mega trend shaping the industry, which is ever smaller and smaller satellites with greater capability and the ability to operate not as single entities, but to operate as a, as a unit, as a constellation more effectively than before. We always had that to a certain extent. I say always, that's probably exaggeration. But in the past couple of decades, we've, we've had satellites that can operate as a constellation, of course. But the degree to which very small purpose-built satellites can provide the functionality previously provided by much larger ones is one of the things you're seeing in that contract with Apogeo. And, and their uh, intent is they're an Internet of Things company and Internet of Things connectivity to do things like track your, your Amazon package, your UPS shipment, um, to track where your, your uh, fleet of Hertz rental car vehicles is at, or uh, John Deere tractors, or what have you. These are the applications for Internet of Things connectivity. And the ability to provide that with hundreds of very small satellites, which is what they intend to do uh, with Pico satellites, distributed, and, and talking to each other and to the ground is, uh, is, the, is their ambition. And they're not the only uh, company trying to do this. For example, we at Momentus have uh, supported another company called FASA, which is a, a Spanish Internet of Things connectivity company. And, you know, it's interesting. Some of their applications are we all have, uh, well, many of us have eaten these uh, remarkable products from, uh, from Spain and elsewhere with Arbe- Iberian ham and so on. Well, these are very expensive uh, uh, entities, and so some of their Internet of Things connectivity, if you can believe it, are tracking these incredibly expensive uh, livestock herds as they as they maneuver around. Um, but they do other things for for uh, machinery, communications connectivity, checking the health and safety of pipelines, and what have you are, are some of their customers. And and there are other satellite customers for Internet of Things connectivity, like uh, SatRev as a a Polish company that we've enabled. But bottom line is I think you're going to see more and more of these applications with ever smaller satellites because this this uh, capability for smaller microelectronics and to reduce the cost also to put things in space, smaller units using industrial-grade applications. Uh, you know, a lot of the space components used to be very expensive and uniquely tailored for space, and you're seeing more and more industrial applications, which therefore dramatically reduces the cost. And the second thing before I uh, prattle on too long would be 
the launch costs have declined dramatically as well. And so the per kilogram cost to put something in space has come down, according to McKinsey, by 95% over the last 20 years. So because it's much less expensive and it's much more available to put something in space and you can do it in much smaller packages, I think that's what's facilitating this growth and creating a need for a company like ours to distribute nine satellites for Apogeo to precise custom locations um, and, and certainly wouldn't be cost effective for them to buy their own uh, rocket or, or launch. And so uh, having a basically a UPS truck in space like ours that can deliver parcels to many, many locations is, uh, is desirable. Thank you. And, and kind of on that topic, you mentioned how it costs less for companies to, for example, use your your space vehicle to launch their payloads. Um, there's been a lot of collaboration in the industry lately. Um, Momentus has also recently announced a collaboration with Axiant to develop technologies for all orbit ranges. Why do you think collaboration is becoming so prevalent in the industry? Well, I think a lot of the, the newer companies like Momentus that are doing business in new ways are, are finding that actually you can try to do everything yourself, but there's a cost and there's a cost both measured in time to develop it yourself and then cost, of course, in dollars. And um, so where there are good partnerships that are win-win with other, you know, younger companies, uh, and they don't have to be younger, by the way, we, we're doing it with larger, older companies, too. There, there can be a bootstrapping advantage and a scale advantage or a complementary capability where we possess part A, they possess part B. Bringing it together um, works well. So with Axiant, uh, one of the things that they are strong in is performing business for government customers, including in the classified realms, under which they um, integrate payloads, under which they do specialized uh, combinations with satellites. Well, we, we happen to have a specialized satellite that functions as a service vehicle and government customers that are interested in using it. And so, you know, there's a win-win partnership that we see with Axiant, uh, where, for instance, they operate the cooperative R&D facilities for the Air Force Research Lab at Kirtland Air Force Base, where they integrate many government payloads and other satellite um, components. It's a natural fit for us, and, and there's a cultural affinity between our companies. Uh, but there are other cases. So I think you will see more, uh, as you're saying, collaborative activities, because I think it's an, it can be an accelerant for, uh, for smaller companies like ours to, to gain uh, bigger shares. Thank you. Um, you've flown your first three, Figurite, if I pronounce that correctly, spacecraft in less than a year. What is the significance of this achievement for Momentus's business, and when is the next mission planned for? You're correct. We've flown three of our orbital service vehicles uh, so far. We, we call it Vigoride, like a vigorous ride. And um, the uh, the first one was in May of 2022, and, and in under a year, uh, we launched all three, which we're very proud of the speed and, and capability that we've shown in those missions. The last two missions in particular, we're, we're continuing to fly uh, as we speak, Vigoride number five and Vigoride six, uh, from our mission control center here in San Jose, California. 
And those satellites uh, and those orbital service vehicles, I should say, which is a satellite, they're continuing to, to operate their various technology. We've demonstrated our core technologies in space, but while we have the vehicles, we, we want to demonstrate additional performance and learn more about them. Uh, Vigoride 5 is currently supporting a Caltech hosted payload, but the uh, Vigoride 6 is, is off uh, maneuvering and doing uh, activities in space. So the, uh, the significance of those is, is the ability to show that our core technologies, how they operate to our customers, to demonstrate uh, the, the reliability of the technology. And then in our uh, uh, you know, internal needs, there are things we want to, to test and push and prod and, and make sure that the vehicle, we're learning as much as we can over time. And in some cases, uh, we're learning about the environment. Uh, around us in space and, and how it, the atmosphere behaves in certain uh, regimens like, uh, for example, over the South Atlantic, there's a, a magnetic field which is different than the rest of the planet. We knew that before we're in orbit, but now we can, we can assess the vehicle and how it flies through these regions uh, and things of that nature. So all in all, you know, uh, good progress in, uh, in developing the technology. And that flight heritage showing you can operate in space, very important uh, to customers, both government and commercial. Thank you. It does definitely seem like sustainability is very important to Momentus. I know that you recently have your microwave electrothermal thruster successfully operating in space. Would you elaborate on how this technology works uh, for our listeners and how important space sustainability is for space and satellite operations. Absolutely. Well, sustainability is a bigger part of our lives across the board, and and we certainly feel that way at Momentus. Um, Our spacecraft uses water as its propellant, Uh, just distilled water, uh, pretty much like you can buy at the grocery store, frankly, that that we use to fuel the, the system. And the way that works is that we will use a, a microwave electrothermal thruster. Uh, so microwave source, similar to the microwave oven you've got at home, we use an industrial-grade version uh, with a magnetron. So we, we first vaporize the water. Uh, then we apply the microwave energy in a cavity to heat the, the vapor to a very high temperature, uh, frankly, roughly half the surface temperature of the sun. Wow. And that, that creates a plasma. And the, the trick, the, the science, is controlling that plasma and, and uh, using that to create a propulsive thrust through a rocket nozzle. And we've, we've demonstrated the ability to do that. Uh, we've powered our spacecraft. We've changed its orbit. But what does that let you do? You're using ordinary water, uh, under a, not under pressure, in an ordinary container. Um, and... So it doesn't apply all these handling constraints and, and the effects on the environment from highly toxic rocket propellants. And the ones that have been used historically in the satellite and rocket industry are particularly hazardous. I mean, um, for, for your layperson viewers uh, and listeners, if you were on a, a rocket test range and there was a small leak of, of propellant miles away, um, you would evacuate as rapidly as possible to uh, overpressure areas where the, the air 
did not uh, allow for the uh, for the external air to come in. You might have to stay in that condition for a long period of time, just from small amounts of propellant. And uh, it's highly corrosive and toxic. And also, um, as it's burned, for example, uh, going to orbit, it does create uh, you know pollutants in the uh, in the environment. And so, using water in a plasma offers uh, substantial benefits there. But it also, you know, important to sustainability is you have to have a performance advantage. Uh, otherwise, you know, sustainable things just cost more. So here, the performance advantage provided by uh, the microwave electrothermal thruster is uh, we're, we're aiming to provide, and we've already demonstrated uh, much of this, uh, a higher uh, specific impulse, which is a measure of efficiency, than chemical propulsion. And so uh, what we've demonstrated in orbit uh, shows that performance to be superior to that of, of chemical for specific impulse. And, and that's something we're going to continue to improve, meaning essentially like the fuel economy standard on your car. Does it go 30 miles per gallon? Does it go 40 miles per gallon? That's ISP works very similarly as a measure of efficiency of thrust. And, and that's where we're, we're uh, you know, our, our ambitions are to demonstrate very reliably that we can do this more efficiently than uh, chemical propellants without the sustainability impacts. So it's a pretty significant achievement to have that MET operating in space. We certainly think so. Uh, And we're pioneers in commercializing that technology. While it's been around in laboratories for a couple of decades, we're the first uh, to take that and, and commercialize it and, and use it now for commercial purposes to deliver customer satellites and things of that nature. And so we, we, we're very proud of that accomplishment and, and certainly think it, it sets us apart from our, our peers. Thank you. Is this something that um, you plan to scale up in the future? Yes, uh, we have our, our present uh, vehicles using uh, two of these microwave electrothermal thrusters. We have uh, uh, done designs for larger versions of them that, uh, that could be uh, applied to future vehicles. Right now, we're, we're quite focused on the, uh, the initial phases of our, our operations in low Earth orbit, but we, we have uh, big dreams and big ambitions to go much further to, uh, to geo-orbit and to the moon and beyond, frankly. And that's one of the advantages also of using water as a propellant is that water is abundant on the moon. Water is found on asteroids. Um, and so when, when serious people have looked at how would you um, operate in and around the moon and beyond, uh, chemical propellants don't really, don't really facilitate that because you be the equivalent of driving from New York to California with a giant trailer behind you carrying all the fuel you need to power yourself. At some point, this becomes you know, impractical. And, uh, and there have not been very good alternatives developed. And so the ability to, to refuel yourself with water uh, found throughout the inner solar system is attractive to us. Thank you. And Momentus is also focused on in-space infrastructure. How does Momentus's in-space transportation fit in with its infrastructure business, and why is in-space infrastructure so critical? Sure. Well, in-space infrastructure is a a new need, and the way to uh, think of that is 
very much like the railroads or creating a road network or a, a network of airports created the infrastructure that provides the movement of people and goods throughout the United States or, or globally. There's a similar infrastructure that's developing in space, and um, uh, there are much smaller satellites, as I mentioned, in much larger numbers. So to give you some statistics, according to the Government Accountability Office, the number of satellites in orbit will grow from over 5,000 today to 58,000 by 2030. And so as you're seeing a much larger volume of those, you're also seeing, as I mentioned, launch costs come down and, and rockets carrying much larger payloads. So the SpaceX transporter missions often carry, for example, over 100 satellites. Starship is intended to carry roughly the equivalent of 500 of those. So when these large cargo vessels that, that I always think of as similar to container ships coming to ports, you know, laden with thousands of these 20 and 40 foot containers, you're, getting, you're seeing a similar thing on a smaller scale occur in space. But all of that cargo, all those satellites that are much smaller, you remember, want to be distributed. They want to be in different locations because that supports their missions. They don't all want to just be in one giant cloud of satellites in one space. And uh, so it makes sense to have in-space infrastructure to distribute them, to provide the connecting flight, if you will, in space, or um, the UPS of space service to distribute them and, and support them. But you're also going to have other infrastructure needs, things like deorbiting all of those satellites, uh, things such as repairing them, refueling them, and um, and the same thing applies, by the way, for national security and military missions, where um, space is becoming very much like the air domain for uh, militaries and governments around the world, with lots of different aircraft playing lots of different roles in peacetime and potentially in wartime. And so, um, having a, an infrastructure and ability to resupply, to provide logistics, to provide uh, refueling, support, servicing, uh, repositioning. All of those things are, are quite valuable, and the same applications going on in the air or by navies around the world, sensing and understanding what's around you and potentially um, having to maneuver or take actions uh, against whatever the opposing force would be. You, you'll see that in space, in my opinion. You're already seeing it. Uh, and I think you'll see a lot more of it. And that's where a, a very flexible utility vehicle like we provide uh, can play a key role. Thank you. I actually want to talk a little bit about your um, business kind of refocusing more on defense. What contributed to that decision and what steps are you taking towards amping up this defense business? Well, the Defense Department and the U.S. government is, is really the largest customer still uh, for space services. And so a lot of what um, uh, pivoted our thinking is that, one, the size of that market, but two, the evolution in thinking in the, the Defense Department leadership about the role that, that dynamic space operations can play. So, for instance, the chief of staff of the Space Force, General Salzman, has talked about uh, essentially maneuver in space and the need to maintain space superiority and space control, uh, which means you've got to understand what's going around you, have situational awareness, 
and also have the ability to operate dynamically to maneuver in space, to resupply in space, to uh, provide the ability to, to maneuver either away from adversaries or to take advantage uh, in a conflict. And so that's where um, our capability, which is it was a nice fit for where that trend was going, in, in our view. And then also, we uh, set out to build a, a sport utility vehicle, essentially to operate in space, uh, but we found it makes a very capable satellite bus, meaning the, the core portion of a satellite that does things like communications, sensing, uh, and other uh, activities. And our Defense Department customers have looked at that and provided similar feedback. So one of the early uh, uh, progress points for us is the Space Development Agency has notified us of a, an award for a contract to um, to make some modifications to the Vigoride vehicle to tailor it uniquely to their needs uh, to serve as a satellite bus. Um, and so some of the you asked what are some of the things we're doing to pursue that one we we have a, a team that has that we've recruited that has more experience in that space both uh, in in the uh, business development side as well as in the execution of those programs. We've also um, taken some steps. To, to a team and explore partnerships like with Axiant uh, to position ourselves and others that we're working on that we're, we're not yet uh, in a position to announce. Um, and so some of those steps will position us both with teammates and with the right team members to pursue those activities. And then lastly, we've had to put in place some of the right infrastructure uh, to manage the company and its finances in a way that, that makes us qualified for uh, those kinds of government business contracts. The Defense Department and others have very specific requirements for how you account for your your expenses, your time, your your operations. And so we've, we've laid in, in place much of the infrastructure required to do that. Thank you. Uh, what would you say has been the biggest challenge with that transition? Um, I think you have to operate a little differently in that the way that the Defense Department uh, procures things, it's, it's long cycle business uh, as opposed to commercial. There are very unique uh, requirements for how you, you submit proposals, how you're evaluated, how competitions are, are executed. Um, and that's a, you know, kind of a skill set that you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't use to sell, for example, to Apogeo, the, the Italian company doing Internet of Things. They, they're going to operate commercially. And so it, it does require some modifications to how you're, you're thinking about it. Um, but, you know, that, that's a unique eco- ecosystem, if you will, that the Defense Department and U.S. government entities operate within. But it, it does provide a, a really um, strong base for your business. While it's long cycle business and unique and hard to win, uh, the power of incumbency is quite strong once you do win um, and once you're, you're engaged in those contracts. And so we're, you know, really excited about the potential there. Yeah, it seems like there are really uh, quite a few exciting things around the corner for Momentus. From your lips to God's ears, that's the way we <laughs> <laughs> we think there are unique things and, and uh, that we can do. We're excited about, you know, the progress we're making. And, and it's just a joy to see the technology operating in space um, and our, our engineering workforce. Um, you know, these are these are things they've labored on for thousands of hours. 
And so to see their uh, their creations now performing in space is, you know, is, is incredibly rewarding for all of us. Thank you. And before we wrap this up, what's one thing that you would like our subscribers to take away today? Well, I think I'd, I'd like them to take away that there's this new um, emerging area in space that um, it, that's, it's an exciting, innovative area that's beginning to change. And Momentus is one of the ones that's at the forefront of, of trying to create that change, both for a more sustainable space environment, for new ways of operating in space that uh, that enable things in the same way the road networks and the railways and other the advent of the airplane revolutionized how we operate here um, in the United States and globally. And I think you're going to see similar trends emerge uh, day by day, month by month, year by year as we go forward in space, I should say. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks again to John Rood, CEO of Momentus, for joining us. This has been The Dish Podcast by Connectivity Business News.